0: all right everybody welcome back to the zero to five million dollar podcast it's ollie here again you've noticed already i'm not sean finder sean's away again typical sean so uh, it's um, i'm carrying the podcast today but it's a good thing i've got a great guest today uh, a marketer who knows a thing or two about what's a, what's going on these days and he's actually just hired one of my good friends which is kind of cool so so mike grimberg who's just hired my buddy joseph is with us so welcome to the show mike how you doing
1: Awesome. Now, now I have a, uh, that's a great intro to live up to, I suppose. And yes, we did just hire Joseph and he's just finished, finishing up his first week. So it's been great.
0: And the fun thing is, I think I saw he posted that he met you from podcasting too, right?
1: He did. Yeah. I, he reached out to me to have me on his show. And then, uh, interesting, he as a follow-up, he wanted to pick my brain on like freelancing and starting up his own thing. And we kind of went back and forth and I'm like, well, case you're interested i mean it seems like you go in another direction but i've got a you know i've got a position open that you might be a great fit for and here we are you know several about a month later
0: there you go podcasting is not just content it's a whole bunch of stuff so um, yeah all right chief so let, let's get into it so tell me about your story um how did you start your company what was the deal what was your situation what was life like and what was that moment where you said you know what let's do this
1: that is a in our case it's an extremely loaded question so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep it short I'll give you the maybe like the three to five minute version otherwise it, it can be a whole episode worth um, the 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 way we like to describe it is proofpoint started out of a family health crisis if you will so um, our daughter was born uh, extremely premature twenty four weeks she weighed like eleven ounces so teeny tiny um, and I was working uh, at another place at the time, obviously. And um, I was, my wife had lost her job at that point. So my wife and I, Gabby, uh, we co-owned the company and co-founded it. Uh, She had lost her job literally as the pregnant, as we delivered prematurely, which is kind of adding insult to injury. Um, So I kind of picked up the slack and started doing some, you know, freelance consulting on the side. I I kind of did that off and on for a while, uh, for years anyway. Uh, So picked that up. And then about, what was it, uh, roughly two years in, so our daughter was almost two at the time doing better, but still needing a whole bunch of you know medical appointments and support and all this other stuff. Uh, so we needed a lot of flexibility. Uh, the startup I was working for in the energy space uh, went belly up. So we kind of had a decision to make of, all right. And at that point, uh, my wife Gabby was kind of ready to start going back to work uh, somehow we had a decision to make of, all right, we're either going to both go out and get quote unquote stable corporate gigs, or we're going to take my little freelance thing that's on the side and turn it into something. And we kind of decided that, you know what, we need the extra flexibility, et cetera. So let's, let's do the, let's do the agency thing. And we very like right away, kind of from day one, we said, look, if we're going to do it, it's not going to be just the Mike and Gabby show. We're not just going to freelance. Uh, We're going to want to build an agency out of it. And like, you know, Give it a name and culture and all that fun stuff. So that's how we started.
0: Wow. Okay. So a lot going on there. It's obviously so much stress and pressure there, and then you choose to become basically business owners, like instead of going into corporate life. Yeah. People kind of tell us we're
1: crazy, but you know, that's just how it is.
0: So a lot of it's about the flexibility. It's kind of lifestyle first, plus you know, obviously then the finances come later, and you've you've been doing it in some capacity for a while. What were the first clients, what was the difference between clients pre that decision and clients post? Did you sort of get more work from and referrals from those existing ones or did you go a whole different way?
1: Uh, yes. And so there's a couple of things like the interesting is yes, lifestyle, lifestyle was important, but finances were extremely important at that point because this was like, you know, all our eggs were in one basket, right? Like we didn't have two separate jobs. It wasn't two separate income streams. It was one income stream for the both of us. Uh, so finances were huge and we pretty much had to scale from, you know, a, a side gig of, I think what at that point I'm making, like maybe like 30, 40 grand a year on the side by myself to, we needed to make, you know, a lot more than that, like four times more to supplement the income that was, uh, that would have been coming from my full-time gig prior to that. So we had to scale pretty quickly. Um, I think the biggest difference from a client's pre to post, I don't, I guess, I don't know that there was a huge difference in the sense of when you're at that point, again, it's, you know, agencies are mostly, you know, bootstrapped self-funded. So it was really about like, who can we get that's willing to do work with us based on our reputations? That was like, there wasn't really too much other prerequisite other than can we do the service that you need? And are you willing to pay us? That was pretty much that, uh, at least to start with. Um, and then over time, pretty quickly, we, we decided that we were going to niche down into B2B in general, uh, just because we, from a flexibility perspective, um, we realized like, you know, with this whole grind of August through December of the holiday season for like e-commerce and consumer products and stuff is just not realistic for, for what we wanted um so we pretty quickly started going away from that um we still have a few clients that are sort of holdovers from there uh but for the most part we've very much transitioned from that and we're making that full transition now uh but yeah those first couple of years first year for sure was just pretty much whoever's willing to pay us kind of thing because we needed to you know pay the mortgage pay the bills pay medical bills all that kind of stuff
0: so talk to me about the first person you brought in, you know, aside from the pair of you doing this work, uh, I've worked in a fair few agencies now, so I know the, the people and the margins and all that stuff is very important. It's, you know, if you get a really good person, you've got to look after them because that's, yep. that's not always so easy to get that. Uh, especially the case of contractors too, like there's, there's mm-hmm. a bazillion of them, but can you find a really great designer or whatever else? Yep. So who were the first ones that you brought in and how did you sort of keep, keep them, um, you know, Keep them nurtured and ready to keep going sort of thing.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, about a, about a year in, I think we started, uh, you know, bringing in contractors and VAs. So we brought in, a. um, actually our very first person we brought in was like a, was a VA project manager and she was great. Um, her name was Melissa. We still keep in touch with her. I mean, she worked with us for, gosh, I think maybe about a year, something like that. um, and then we, you know, through our, I mean, we had a pretty big network. I've worked at agencies prior to that. Uh, Gabby did as well. And we started bringing in like people on the paid media side to do some contract work, you know, things like that. Um, when we started hiring full timers, we made a lot of mistakes in the hiring side, made some wrong hires, bad hires, et cetera. Our first, I would say, uh, you know, core hire who's still with us today. Uh, her name is Kristen. She's our account director. That was in, um, uh, that would have been what, 2019, mid, uh, late 2019. Uh, So she's been with us for two and a half years now and couldn't, couldn't do what we're doing uh, without her at this point.
0: Really? That, that much?
1: Yes. I mean, she's, she's completely uh, critical to pretty much everything we do. I mean, we're kind you know, she's slowly moving into more of an operations type role too. And it's just been like, Gabby kind of had, a, you know, a bit of account management and project management experience. That's my weak link personally. And bringing in somebody who's like, that's their expertise. That's what they love to do was just, was game changing for us.
0: So uh, so tell me a bit more about that. So project management, that's, um, I'm kind of like you, it's, I'm proficient. I have been in a job where I had to be the project manager. So yeah. I had to be on my you know, tiptoes doing my absolute darn best to do that to a really high level. And it it's uh it's definitely a skill. I think everyone's got a bit of it, but it is, you know, some people have a lot more of that natural yep. than others. I I personally have a smaller attention to detail. I'm much more of a creative person. So you, you can be a bit of both, but I'm a little bit more in that direction. So how do I'm you very guys much like you. do that? How do you keep tabs on it? Especially because you're like me, it's slightly less natural to you. What's the way that you run your like client engagements and stuff. What are you like a an Asana, ClickUp's type, uh, shop? And yeah, I mean we have ClickUp.
1: That. Yeah, we we use Asana. We switched to ClickUp, uh, which has been was a great change for us from a platform perspective. But uh, again, like we made a, a decision early on that uh, account project management was going to be a critical function for us, and we're going to hire people for it um, because. For a while, I was like, in the very beginning, I was the main kind of strategist and execution person. And I'm like, you described, I can do project management and, you know, timelines and Gantt charts and all that stuff if I have to. I hate it. And for me, it's draining. Like it's just, it's mentally draining for me, which leaves me worse off to do all the strategy work and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and I think a lot of people in, I, you know, I've, I worked at an agency prior to this where there wasn't a formal account and project management function for the, um, for the teams. And it was just like, I saw pretty much everybody that, that was at kind of that strategist role and above. They just, they could do it. Uh, I mean, it, it was functional, but I could tell that they were not at their peak for doing the main thing they were supposed to be doing, which is a strategy, because they're getting so drained and bogged down in the project management.
0: Yeah. So we've got, uh, right now we've got
1: two. Uh, we're going to be hiring our third, um, uh, probably Q, end of Q2 here-ish on the project management side.
0: Awesome. Um, so but what is an average month in terms of what are you delivering for a for companies? Are you doing different stuff for each of them or are you more packaged? Than, uh, like if so, what is inside of that package?
1: Yeah, so that's uh, that's the other interesting thing is like the... From a niching down perspective, that's where that's the way we've done it is instead of niching down into like one particular industry, we really niche down in terms of the service offering. So it has become pretty packaged in terms of there's a very um, robust strategic framework. We call it our relationship velocity framework. So in really gonna kind of the 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 way we our POV on the world of marketing, if you will, it's you know, it's all about acquiring the right customers through relationships and relationship-focused revenue marketing is sort of how we talk about it. So um, there is a very, I don't want to call it standard, but a a very robust uh, strategy framework that gets executed. And then the types of playbooks that we use, you know, whether that be uh, podcasts, webinars, et cetera, like that, those have been fairly well-developed as well. So there's, there's some flexibility in terms of what exactly gets done based on you know customer research and all that kind of stuff, but um, the what we do is fairly standard at this point.
0: Okay, I'm gonna switch on you a little bit. So, what type is there a channel or a tactic or a specific thing that you think is maybe slept on in B2B? So, we're B2B, my company. We uh, I personally think it's YouTube, just me, but uh, I, I want to know what you think.
1: Um, I think it's yeah, I think YouTube is one of them. I think. Podcasts are maybe less so, but still like depending on, it, not as much in SaaS anymore. I feel like SaaS is generally ahead of uh, ahead of it in the B2B game. But when you look at the industries that we generally deal with, which is like uh, you know technical professional services, I so think like engineering firms or uh, manufacturing med device companies, things like that, they're fairly far behind. So they're still sleeping on podcasts. As an example, or even like video in general, podcast webinars, like micro events, et cetera. As far as channels uh, outside of that, I would say I think YouTube, because a lot of people, for whatever reason, think it's either A oversaturated or B that their customers aren't there for some reason. Um, I also think TikTok, just because it's still early and people don't get it. Um,
0: And then oftentimes,
1: still, I would say Facebook, because everybody goes, oh, Facebook's not for professional stuff. Like our people aren't there which is I find amazing to me that people still say that when like, yeah, okay. Facebook's got its challenges, but it's got almost what 3 billion users at this point, two and a half. So clearly your people are there.
0: I like, uh, I like the TikTok one. I'm not personally on it. I value my time enough to um, I don't trust myself with it. So I can see myself losing years just going down the rabbit holes. But I think that's a pretty good one for personal branding, depending on the space that you're in. There's a bunch of people yes. I know, like uh, who work for sales tech companies. They do videos about writing a good email, like sending a video and stuff like that. And then maybe YouTube as well. It's probably usable for nearly any company, but I would imagine we're considering it for one of our product lines, which is a little bit less in price. You know, I think it makes more sense for those folks where it's it's a little bit more like transactional B two C. Then it's a bit. Then you think of it differently, whereas. If, if like you're describing professional services and that sort of thing, it's a bit more higher price, then it's a bit harder. The audience just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So yep. I don't know what you think.
1: No, I, I completely agree with you on that for as far as YouTube is concerned. I mean, the, the one client right now where we are actually just kicking something off or they're in the ag tech space. So, um, you know, they're targeting large family farms, corporate farms, you know, big growers. Um, and, Interestingly, it's a really easy um, audience to target because there are so many grower channels, if you will, like people doing all sorts of interesting and weird farming videos and whatnot, uh, you know, influencers and, and, and things like that. But it, yes, I agree with you where I think in the SaaS space, there's there's more room there. I would say than in more of the, you know, hey, we're a med device engineering firm and our average engagement is half a million to a million dollars, yeah, that YouTube is probably not necessarily the best channel from an ads perspective, at least. Although I do think like in those technical spaces, people want, like engineers watch a ton of YouTube, right? So if you have the right content, it's like, you know, for example, we we run a podcast for a client in that exact space and, you know, they get decent amount of views uh, because people are even there, they're looking for that. Right. Now you're not going to make a sale necessarily directly off of it, uh, but you are able to get in front of and build your brand presence with internal uh, influencers, right? They're not necessarily gonna be the decision makers. You know, you're our junior level mechanical engineer, electrical engineer is probably not gonna be the one that's gonna make a decision to work with a vendor like that, but they might you know make a recommendation, hey, you should check out these ones to so their, you know, VP or director or whatnot.
0: I'm with you. Uh, okay, so uh, probably last question before we might wrap up. Then, so, uh this, this is my favorite one to be honest with you. Any mistakes you all to share? Any any big blunders? <laughs> any epic fails? Face palm? <laughs> oh my god! Moments? Any? Oh uh,
1: man, there's too there's too many to count. Um, you know, I think the biggest one that I think almost crippled their business back in you know COVID time is we were way too reliant on referrals and we were, in and the problem with that was that the direction our business was heading was not the direction that our referrals were going in the sense of we we're getting we were still getting referrals they're just the completely wrong kind because we were in the process of changing uh you know niching down etc but we we're still getting referrals from the wrong people and the wrong kinds of referrals not the business that would actually help us at all uh, and our business that we couldn't even support because they're you know lower um lower uh lower price point, et cetera. And our, our staffing model just wouldn't support that kind of stuff. Uh, and along with that, we also didn't really know how to sell. We didn't really have a pipeline. And once COVID hit, and we lost a couple of our biggest clients due to COVID because their industries just either shut down or were very, very conservative for a variety of reasons. Um, like one of them sold into schools and obviously when schools shut down, like we knew that one was coming. Um, we were we were in a world of hurt because we we're like, where's our pipeline? Where the heck are we going to get business from? So, the the good thing was is we had enough um, cash flow to kind of support ourselves, plus you know all the PPP dollars, et cetera, to get us through that. And we really invested in the sales training and things like that. We came out of it a lot stronger, and which is why we're sort of kind of on the cusp of this hockey stick growth at this point this year. But it was it was painful. And I think in a lot of agency owners, I think make that mistake, because most of them are marketers by trade. They don't really know how to sell, and they, and they don't know how to sell themselves uh, and their services. And like, that's that was a huge mistake we made.
0: Yeah, I've been there. Uh, I've uh, tried to code email and, and stuff like that before I knew what <clears> I was doing, and yeah, fine. Occasionally, I, I got on a call with someone, and then it was just, oh, what do I do now? So uh, I've been there. I know what you mean. And and actual fact, that might bleed a little bit into my last question. Then, so how do you self educate? Are you a podcast listener? Are you, are you a reader? Do you do courses? What what's your thing? And I imagine you might have, as you just said, you might have been doing a bit of sales, uh, reading up and stuff like that.
1: Um, it's a mix of all of them. But what I what I really am a big advocate for is kind of doing some baseline uh, knowledge gathering and education through, you know, podcasts and books. And I'm not a big course person. I don't know. It just never really worked for me. Um, like the self-guided course thing. Um, but books and podcasts are, uh, I'm a big fan of, and, you know, blogs to a certain extent, things like that. Um, but then once you have that baseline knowledge and you've sort of dabbled in it a little bit, then it's time. I think to invest in, like one-on-one type coaching or something because that's I think it's invaluable. Yes, it costs more, but you have to think of it as an investment, you know. So we've done that with sales coaching. Uh, we've done that with just broader business coaching where we had specific like HR-related problems and things like that that like we that we needed to solve for. Um, you know, as an example, like right now I've I'm not a finance person by trade. I've done a pretty decent job of getting us to where we are, but there's starting to be some holes in our financial operations, right? Like it's fine. It works, but it needs to be a lot better for where we're going. So like, you know, I'm starting to meet with some fractional CFOs and other people like other agency owners that are really good at this. have got, that are way beyond where we are just to learn and upskill and, you know, get some more one-on-one type training. Cause I think it's, it's critical to do it that way, at least for me.
0: I'm with you, man. Okay. So, uh, so last thing then, where can people find you? Where can people follow you?
1: Uh, LinkedIn's the best one, most active there, uh, gonna activate on TikTok at some point here, but, uh, that's, that, that's coming a little bit later, but yeah, definitely LinkedIn.
0: Just that. All right. Just Mike Grimberg. Mike Grimberg. Okay. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show. So I appreciate your time. This was a good one. And, uh, anybody listening, if you don't mind really, really helps us out. If you don't mind dropping a quick review, hopefully five stars, maybe four, but like I'm hoping more than three, but I'll leave that up to you and make sure you subscribe. So you don't miss next week's episode. Maybe Sean will be back, maybe not. I'll leave that to you to find out. I'll see you next week, folks. Thanks.